0: Good morning, everyone. Um, the reading this morning is from Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Rajan. Uh, So for those of you lectionary nerds like myself, you'll notice that that's not part of the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, We've been taking a break and taking the seven weeks to look at the seven days of creation, not as a historical wondering, but as a way to look at our own spiritual development our own spiritual formation and the formation of our church and so we saw that on day one when god said let there be light uh, we wondered about what that was since the sun is not created until day four and so we saw that god caused us to see ourselves our own souls and each other and god with much more clarity on day two we were expanded, much like someone who is pregnant with life growing inside of us, so that on day three, we can give birth to that life in a way that would bless the world for generations to come. That's what day three is about. And then on day four, we looked at the different seasons that we inhabit, the seasons of waiting and loss and hope and abundance, and that we'll, we'll inhabit each of those seasons during this journey of becoming who we are in God. On day five, last week, we looked at what it meant to face our monsters naked and vulnerably instead of armed with someone else's armor. And I heard from actually quite a few of you saying that last week was rough. That was a tough one. That was a difficult one to sit with. So if that was you, be at peace. You're not alone. And uh, so we get to day six, and we read about the crawling creatures and all the animals, but then we finally read this, this statement in Genesis one twenty six that God makes a decision to create human beings in God's image. And it says in our image, so Father, Son, and Spirit, in the image of the Trinity. So you have to ask the question, what does it mean to be created in God's image? So I'll play question. If you're new here, all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. So, what was your picture of God growing up? A tall man with white uh, stuff. A tall man with white stuff. That's my son. Okay. A normal man. We have two men now for God. Ben, did you have something too? Okay, all three. Half man, half woman with a beard. I like that. I like that. like that a lot. All right. Uh, responses from not my children. What was your picture of God growing up? Zeus. Yes, Nicole. Zeus. All powerful. All the things. Ooh, I, li- I kind of like that, actually. That's good. It's always the kids. Judge. Okay. Grandpa. Okay. Gentle. Gentle. Thanks, Carol. Whew. Whoa. Say that again. Wow. Let's pray. Benediction, <laughs> early Memorial Day. Any last um, pictures? Well, um, you know, I, I think I had a lot of pictures of God growing up. Honestly, I think I did have a picture of God growing up that was very warm and gentle and caring. Uh, I had a picture of God growing up that God was powerful, that God actually could do things. Um, I had a picture of God that was loving, that God would do an enormous amount of things for God's people, that God would go to great lengths to show God's love for us. But I also grew up with a picture of God um, that was very violent and angry. So in the primary theology of atonement that I grew up with, and atonement is just a fancy word for saying the way we get right with God is that this violent, angry God was so upset with us and and our sin that God had to punish something. And it was going to be us if it wasn't for someone else. And so this angry, violent God who is just bent on punishing something or someone, Jesus got in between us and that God. And Jesus sort of stiff-armed that God and said, don't pour it out on them, pour it out on me instead. And so that's what happened. God poured it out on Jesus on the cross, thus making us right. That's the primary picture of God in the theology of atonement that I had growing up. Um, so because I was, I've always been a curious person, <laughs> I've always asked questions to my poor parents who aren't here today, but they poor, I mean, they. I just, I just littered them with questions. And I still do, not them necessarily, but other people. I began to question whether or not I wanted to be like that God or be made in in that image of that God. Like that angry, vengeful God that had to punish something. So God decided to punish his son. And thank God. But then I would hear things like Jesus is the picture of that God. But I wouldn't see that picture of that violent, angry God in Jesus. So I had this huge dilemma. So I really, for the first 21 years of my life, I really I really kept God at a huge distance because I couldn't reconcile those two things. I would hear God as love, and I would hear God as total anger and needing to punish. And I I couldn't put those things together. So I did a whole lot more reading and studying and living. And I believe the Bible is so much more clearly teaches a picture of God that is like this that I'll read to you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. By the way, I'm going to do more reading this time because there's just certain scriptures that you have to hear to put this together. If we're going to figure out in whose image we are made and thus figure out who we are, we have to get a better picture of God, a picture that's more like the young woman that said, too wonderful for us. So Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship." created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Unless you think I'm cherry picking, it's that type of God that we see over and over and over and over and over again revealed in the, in the scriptures. So if we can see that, that God is in fact, that Jesus on the cross actually represents the lengths to which God loves us. That if Jesus is God, then Jesus on the cross represents God's uh, ability and passion to go all the way for us. And the thought of God being this angry, vengeful person that has to punish, we can say, you know what, I I don't understand that picture. That that picture is much less biblical than this one is in Ephesians two, four through ten, because if I am God's workmanship, and God is an angry, vengeful, punishing God, then what kind of workmanship am I? So, all play. What does it mean to be God's workmanship? Ooh, nice job, Isaac. His masterpiece. You're actually very, very close to what it means. Thanks, Corin, to embody God's characteristics. And if you if you think about that, it's like really, whoa. To be, to be a work in progress. Thank you, Katie Schlenk. To be a work in progress. To be an expression of God. Thank you, Pam. So, the Greek word is poema, which is where we get our word poem. So, the most literal translation of that word is we are God's poem. You are God's poem. We are God's poetry. John Bloom writes this, you are an epic poem, a God-imaging poema. You've become flesh and spirit. Your poem contains all the comedic and tragic drama of an existence more real and more meaningful than you have yet to comprehend. If you think you are a boring work of prose, to which I take some offense because I write prose, (laughs) you don't yet see see things as they really are. You are afflicted with a sin-induced cataract in the eye of the heart. And I like that definition. Like, we're, we're, we're blind. We can't see correctly. But it's God's intention and delight to heal your sight. You are more glorious than the sun, more fascinating than Orion, for the sun cannot perceive its creator's power in all of its blinding glory, nor can Orion trace his designer's genius in the precision of his heavenly course. But you can. You're part of the infinitesimal fraction of created things that have been granted the incredible gift of being able to perceive the power and native genius of God. And to you and only you is given a wholly unique perception and experience of God's holy grand poema. There are some verses of this poem that God will only show to you. What kind of being are you, so small and weak and yet endowed with such marvelous capacity for perception and wonder? Now, that's pretty good writing. But what if you really are God's poetry, God's poem, each of us? We read in Psalm 139, verse 13, oh yes, you shaped me first inside, And then outside, you formed me in my mother's womb. So if you have a faulty picture of God, you're gonna have a faulty picture of yourself. So then, what is an image of God that we can trust? Is there one? Or is God just completely ineffable and we just have to throw darts at the cosmic sky? Well, try this one on for size. If it looks like Jesus, you can trust that it's God. And if it doesn't look like Jesus, then you have to start asking lots of questions of whether or not it's God. In Colossians 1, we read this, "'Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things.'" And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have supremacy. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell in Jesus. And by him, here's what's interesting, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross all things, to reconcile all things to himself. The word image is the Greek word icon. So think of the icon that you click on on your desktop and it takes you to the real thing, right? So if you have a image of Twitter on your icon, you double click on it, it'll take you to Twitter. We are icons of God. Icons. You click on us. And you get to God. That's how it was supposed to be, how it's meant to be. And Jesus is the perfect icon of God. But here's the deal. Um, even as I was writing that, I thought, gosh, like there's a way in which you can hear that and it sounds like so expansive and beautiful. There's another way you can hear that. And and you it just sounds like the same old religious propaganda that Jesus, you know, does anyone... Anyone amen to that? Like, it it just sounds like the same old thing, that if you say the name of Jesus, then you're saved. And we know a whole lot of people who are saying the name of Jesus that don't appear to act like Jesus much at all, maybe ourselves included, maybe especially ourselves included. And so when we hear Jesus is the picture of God, there's a part of your mind that goes, yawn, heard it, did it, got it. I don't want to be a part of that tribe because that tribe is bigoted, homophobic, xenophobic, all the other phobics, I don't want it, so maybe you checked out. So Jesus isn't our mascot. You know that, right? He doesn't show up to our worship services and like, you know, blow out, you know, T-shirts and give you high fives, and that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is out ahead of us, always making all things new. Jesus loves us, and at one point, if you look at the disciples, they feel loved and cared for, and and then and the next moment, they feel confronted and challenged. And like Mother Teresa said this, she she said this to a group of people: uh, "If you want to learn how to love more, smile at your spouse." And then some smart aleck said, "Are you married?" her response yes i am married and jesus is sometimes a very difficult spouse so also jesus is not your boyfriend this is kind of an old thing but i remember a couple of years ago reading like certain people would say i mean women would say jesus is my boyfriend and i get it like like maybe that was a way of saying i've had it with men they're so yeah, and so now i'm just putting it all toward jesus but Like, language matters, and he's really not your boyfriend (laughs) in any way at all. Jesus is the Christ who created all things and who holds all things together, who is reconciling all things. Jesus is the lover of your soul and the wrecker of your soul. Jesus will mess with you and love you never leave you, come get you when you've wandered off, but also is a very difficult spouse to live with. Like if you haven't found that Jesus who you kind of are annoyed with, I'm gonna say you probably have not found the Jesus of the Gospels. So Jesus of the Gospels is the icon of God, the Jesus that was discovered first by women. Did you read that? Did you notice that in our call to worship? Anyone kind of say, whoop, whoop? You should have. Jesus, who hung out with all kinds of people, including Pharisees and prostitutes, disciples who were very passionate but knew quite little and among them, zealots and tax collectors. Pope Francis says this, he goes, the church is a river. Whether you're on the left bank or the middle of the river or the right bank, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Just be in the river. So Jesus' disciples were all over the map, theologically, and so are we. So if Jesus is an image of, God that we can trust. What's an image of you that you can trust? Second Corinthians four six through twelve. We read this for God, and this is so brilliant. I'm reading a lot of Paul today. If you have problems with Paul, just email me and we'll we'll work it out. Sometimes I do too. It's all good. Second Corinthians four six through twelve. For God's for God who said, "Let there be light in darkness." So Paul is taking us back to Genesis one. I <laughs> love it has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. So now we have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. That makes it clear that our great powers from God not from ourselves we are pressed on every side by troubles we are we are but we are not crushed we are perplexed but not driven to despair we are hunted down but never abandoned by God we are knocked down but we're not destroyed Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We are like fragile clay jars. So this week, if you have felt at times like a cracked, fragile, maybe broken vessel, clay jar, God says, that's exactly what you should feel like. But that's not all you are. The very light of day one has been implanted within you so that that light can shine out to the world and so that the light can get in. So the great Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I would add, and out. He's right. We do carry within us the majestic, epic, unbelievable light of God. And it emanates from us. And it emanates into inside of us. It comes from within and from without. But it only does so when we sort of recognize and even sometimes embrace the cracks. Amen. So don't don't run away from the cracks. Don't tape them up. Don't pretend they're not there. Use them as a reminder that this amazing image that you are born with and that emanates from you, you don't generate. Because most of us Christians were taught you gotta try real hard to keep that light cranking, don't you? Anyone? Make sure that that hamster keeps running on that wheel, or else your light's gonna grow dim. We don't have to worry about the light growing dim. The light doesn't come from us. So try this. Maybe you want to try a breath prayer from the Song of Solomon. Breath prayer is just something you can, it's enough syllables you can breathe in and breathe out. And this is the breath prayer that maybe you need to try. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Over and over again. So that it becomes part of how you think. Or you might want to Pick up this book by Brendan Manning called The Furious Longing of God. Utterly stunning by Brendan Manning. The Furious Longing of God. Or if you're more of an activist, I want to invite you to go love someone in secret to where you get no no Facebook posts about it. I'm here mentoring this kid, and it's just so great learning so much from this kid that I mentor, blasted out to the world. Go love someone in secret. Show someone the unconditional love of God. And maybe they know it's you, but no one else will. Because I think that's the kind of God that God loves us with. God, it's so amazing, needs no publicity to love us. God is not drawn to that. God's only desire is to delight in you and have us delight in that God. So love someone that that can't build your image, your status, or your worthiness. Someone that just can receive it. And if you do that, you will experience the majestic, epic, beautiful, transcendent love of the one who created you and in whose image you are created because you're joining God's character When we join what God does, we join in the flow of who God is, and we are loved by that God in the partnership of it. Amen? Amen. That's day six. So now we're going to take 60 seconds of silence, as we always do, where we invite God to speak to you, to your heart, after which time uh, we will do the silence and prayers of response And then Katie will lead us through the Eucharist. So 60 seconds where we open our hearts. Maybe this is time to notice where God has loved you. Maybe this is time to start that breath prayer. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Maybe it's time just to listen. But come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.